My name is Mario. I'm one of the pastors here. This is the third part of our Christmas series, technically about Christmas. And as you saw in that video, the idea behind this series has been that rather than focusing on the familiar passages, like there was no room for them in the inn, and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, we have been learning other passages that are found in other places of the Bible that are also technically about Christmas. And one of the things that I've actually been talking to people about these past couple of weeks is the reason why I think that this series is important and is good for us um, is that while Matthew and Luke tell us that Jesus was born, these other passages that we've been focusing on tell, make such a big deal as to why his birth was so important, right? They tell us why he was born and why it was a big deal. Um, Matthew and Luke do that too, so I don't want to like discredit them. Matthew and Luke tell us why Jesus was born, like the, the things that they record the angels saying in particular. Matthew's gospel says his name will be Jesus because he will save his people from their sins, so Matthew and Luke do tell us why Jesus was born, but, but they don't explain everything. Other passages in the Bible tell us even more things than, than Matthew and Luke do about the significance of Jesus' birth and his life. And so we've been focusing on those passages this year. And today's technically about Christmas passage is Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Galatians chapter 4 at this time. I'm going to read you. This is our text for this morning. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That's our passage for this morning. And I will admit, of the three passages that we have learned in this series, um, this is the one that is the most Christmassy sounding. Okay, Remember last week, it didn't sound at all like a Christmas passage. And this one isn't considered really much of a Christmas passage either. However, there is a phrase in it that makes it sound quite a bit more Christmassy than the other passages we've learned. Do you notice what it is? It's the words, born of a woman. Born of a woman allows us to sort of picture the Virgin Mary... And then once we've done that, we can sort of picture the rest of the manger scene, and then boom, we've got a Christmas Bible verse, right? And if the born of a woman wasn't in there, if it just said God sent his son born under the law to redeem those under the law, it wouldn't seem very much like a Christmassy passage. Um, and in fact, this particular sentence, um, it's two verses, but you can tell it's just one sentence. This sentence is found in the book of Galatians. And the book of Galatians was a letter that was written for a very different purpose than to celebrate Christmas. For those of you that are aware of what the book of Galatians is about, and I hope some of you are because we preached on it here not that long ago, Paul was writing a letter to a group of Christians in an area called Galatia to tell them that circumcision doesn't save you. That was the purpose of the letter. Like the rumor that was going around was that circumcision is how you have to become a Christian, like that you have to convert to Judaism first before you can become a Christian. If you want God to save you, you have to be circumcised. That's what people were saying. And Paul wrote a letter to them, to basic, I mean, multiple page letter to explain, nah, that's not how it works. And so he explains it, and it's in the middle of that letter, which is, I mean, not a Christmassy topic, in the middle of that letter that you find this sentence, which is an explanation as to why Jesus Christ was born. And so even though the intent was not for this to be a Christmas verse, it's the perfect Christmas verse. So I want to give you my outline this morning. I don't always do this, but there are sometimes when I do, those of you who are really into like order and structure and stuff go, oh, I love it. I love it when you tell me the points ahead of time. So for those of you that love that, you're going to love this sermon, okay? So here's my outline, all right? We've got, this is a five-point sermon. Everything is going to fall under these five headings. Um, they are not 
particularly creative. They are just the phrases from the verse that we are learning. And so we're just going to talk about it in five pieces. So point one is God sent his son. I'm going to talk about what that means. Point two is born of a woman. We'll talk about what that means. Point three, born under the law. Point four is to redeem those under the law. And that to me seems like a, there's a lot to that. And so we got three sub points. You're one of the people I know loves this. So that's why I'm doing this. There's three sub points. And um, so we're going to answer the questions, what does redeem mean? Why do we need to be redeemed? And how did Jesus do this? So that we, that's all going to be under redeem those under the law. And then we'll end with, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So that's where we're going this morning. And let's start with number one, God sent his son. So Jesus Christ was sent from God to us, right? Jesus was sent from God. And the way that it's written in the verse, it's just, it, first of all, we see that the son was sent so he was somewhere else first, right? So before he was here, he was somewhere else. Where was he? He was wherever God was, because God was the one that sent him. So Jesus is wherever God is, and then gets sent here. And then the next phrase is born of a woman. So what this little phrase implies, God sent his son, what is implied by this phrase that is uh, said more directly in other passages of scripture is that Jesus preexisted his birth, which is weird because that's not true of any of you, right? That's not true of me either. That, that God had a son, and that son existed before he was born of a woman. He was there with God, and then was sent, and then was born, right? So Jesus preexisted his own birth. In that sense, he is very different than us. Like I said, I think it's implied in this verse. That is said, you know, very clearly in other passages. Um, the one that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, remember how it said he existed in the form of God and then took on the likeness of men? Uh, John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, and Hebrews chapter 1 are all places in the New Testament that talk about Jesus being the one who created all things, brought all things into existence. So if Jesus created all things, then he preexisted all things, which means he preexisted his own birth. He preexisted Mary. He existed before the manger was built. He existed before Bethlehem was founded, right? God sent his son, and so Jesus had created all things, then shows up in the midst of his creation, and he preexists his own mother. So that's way different. None of you preexisted your mother, but he did. Very different from us. And then the next phrase, born of a woman, which sort of balances out that concept because we've got that Jesus is obviously very different than us. And then the very next phrase reminds us, oh, but there's a sense in which he's very much like us. What way is he like us? He was born of a woman. What does that mean? I think it means he was actually a human being. That when God sent his son, he didn't send Jesus down as like a phantom, a hologram, like, you know, like he appeared to be human in order to say stuff. Like he came as a human. He was born of a woman. Jesus came out of a birth canal like you did. All right? I mean, maybe some of you are C-section people, but you get the point, right? He came... <laughs> He came out of a woman. Why? Because he was an actual human being, not appeared to be one. He was a real human who was born. And so there's a sense in which he's very different than us, but then there's a sense in which, no, he's just like us. He was a fellow human being, born of a woman. And then the next phrase is born under the law. What does that mean? What does it mean that he was born under the law? I think there are two senses that he was born under the law that I'll share with you. One sense in which I think Jesus was born under the law, maybe this is the main thing here, that Jesus was born a human. We've already, we've already made that clear. Jesus was born a human, therefore he was accountable to God's morality, like for humans. When it says Jesus was born under the law, Jesus is born accountable to right and wrong, just like humans are. 
right? There are certain things that we realize humans are expected to do, and we realize it's different than the animal world. Sometimes the animal world, like, they'll eat each other, but then with humans, we go, no, we ought not do that, right? There's, like, there's certain things that we think there's a code, there's rules we're supposed to follow that other, cre- other parts of creation don't have to follow, and so you know you're not supposed to lie, and you're not supposed to steal, and you're not supposed to kill people. That's just, that's the code. That's the law. That's God's law. Jesus was born under that. He was accountable to God's morality, like when Jesus was nine years old, he couldn't go to his friend's house and just like take all her toys. And then she goes like, hey, why are you doing that? He goes, I created all things. It's mine anyway. <laughs> like, no, he wasn't allowed to steal. He came and played by the same rules we're supposed to play by. He was born under the law. He was accountable to God's morality. But Jesus was born not just a human. He was born a Jewish human, which means he was born under the Israelite like ceremonial and civil codes. So he was not only accountable to God's morality, but he was accountable to God's law in the Old Testament given to the people through Moses. And so there were civil and ceremonial things that he was born accountable to because he was in the first century in Israel and he's supposed to, there's like certain uh, holidays that they were supposed to celebrate, like Passover, certain things they're supposed to do at certain times. And there's a way that, you know, you're supposed to uh, tithe this certain amount because this goes to the Levite tribe. And this is the temple tax that you're supposed to pay. And this is what happens when you go to the temple. And this is what you do when there's like mildew on your clothes and you take it to the priest and they look at that thing and then they make whatever the determination is. I mean, there's a lot of rules in the Old Testament. And Jesus was born under the Israel Hebrew um, civil and ceremonial codes. And he was born under the law, accountable to it, and fulfilled it, obeyed all of that. And then the next part, and this is, the, this is huge, he was, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. So that's the why. Why, why Christmas? Why was Jesus born? Why'd they set him in a manger? Why'd that whole story happen? To redeem those under the law. What does that mean? And I just want to start with that. What does redeem mean? Because the word redeem is a word that, first of all, I don't think it's used a whole lot. I don't think tons of us talk about the word redeem very often. And when we do use the word redeem, I think a lot of times we think of it as purely a religious word, right? Just people, oh, he redeemed himself. She needs to redeem herself. Jesus redeemed me. But I'm not sure it was exclusively a a religious word when they talked about it, right? This letter about circumcision in Galatians was written 2,000 years ago to people in the Roman Empire, and they already had thoughts and definitions about these words, And I don't think redeem was just a spiritual word back then. It was a financial word. It was a word in their language that meant to buy something out. It was the kind of thing that would happen if there was a slave and someone paid money not to buy the slave, but to free the slave. That would be a redemption price, right? I'll give this money, but no, the slave doesn't belong to me now. Now the slave is free. I'll pay whatever it is that the slave costs. I'm going to redeem. I'm going to buy out his contract, That's what the word redeem was, the price that would be paid in order to set someone free, a price that would be paid to restore someone, a price that would be paid to fix a problem like that. I think it was particularly used um, in terms of slavery. In fact, you can see it in the Old Testament because these cultures had slavery and you could see that there were commands. Um, I think it's in Leviticus. I didn't actually go back and double check, but I'm pretty sure um, that it's in Leviticus, that if you were an Israelite and one of your family members got enslaved, you were supposed to rescue them if you could financially. Like if you're, there you are, you're a bunch of Hebrew people, you're all sitting there around the table at Thanksgiving or whatever, and somebody finds out that your cousin has been, has been enslaved somehow. Maybe it was even his own fault, because sometimes back then you could get into so much debt that you've you sold all your stuff and you still can't pay it off, and so you do what? You sell yourself into slavery. 
So let's just imagine you have a cousin that got into such trouble that that cousin is now owned by somebody else and is stuck in slavery, and there you all are, the relatives. I think according to Leviticus, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to gather your money together, and one of you is supposed to go down and find your cousin's master and give him the money. Not so that your cousin will be your slave now, but so that your cousin would be freed and back into the family and restored. And if you did that, that would be redeeming him, right? You're paying the price. So the passage here is saying, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to pay the price to purchase some people who were lawbreakers, people who were under the law and messed it up. Like he's, he's rescuing people with a price that he paid. So here's the question, why do we need to be redeemed? Because those under the law is a reference to us, right? He was born under the law, accountable to the law like we are. So he came to redeem us. Why do we need to be redeemed? I mean, I get what you're saying, Mario. You're saying Jesus Christ somehow paid some sort of price to unenslave people like me. Is that what you're saying, Mario? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Good job for listening. Okay, but I don't feel enslaved. Like, what is it that I'm enslaved by? Like, I just, it doesn't seem, like, what is it that he's freed me from? What is, what is it, what was I a slave to? Why do we need to be redeemed? And so one of the things I would say, why do we need to be redeemed is because um, we broke the law. Like he was born under the law and he came to redeem those under the law. We are lawbreakers. We have sinned. And so I guess the question is, why do we need to be redeemed is because we've sinned. We're in the bad situation we're in. What is the bad situation that we're enslaved in? Like who's enslaved us? I mean, I think one correct and short answer to that would be sin. You are enslaved to sin. How am I enslaved to sin? I think you're enslaved to sin a whole bunch of ways. One way in which I think we're enslaved to sin is we're addicted to it. Like we sin, and then we sin more, and we sin more, and we do it again, and we do it again the next day, and we do it again the next day, and most of us in this room have this experience that we're addicted to sin. And it's, and it's, it's so weird. Even if you didn't grow up Christian, there are things that you think are wrong, and you do them, and then you think, after you do them, you think, I don't, that was bad. You know, I'm not going to do that anymore. Okay, I'm going to stop. And then you do it again next month, right? You do things over and over again that you think are wrong. And you're like, what's the problem with me, right? Is everyone else like this? I'll get like, you know, yes, we're all like this. We're all like that. We do these things and they're wrong and we're, we're stuck in it. We're enslaved to it. There's another sense in which we're enslaved to the judgment that comes. Like we're enslaved to the consequences of our sin. Because we have sinned and because there's a holy God, there's a punishment that is coming our way. And so we're sort of in the whatever, I don't know what to call it, the tube that's like going there. And if God doesn't do anything, if nothing happens, if, we, if, the, if the situation doesn't get fixed, if we just keep sinning and sinning, then what happens is the consequences of our behavior happen. Judgment comes. And we're enslaved to that. Like we're stuck in that if we're not redeemed if someone doesn't buy us out of that. And there's also a sense in which we're enslaved to the devil. And we talked about that last week. Remember last week's passage? How it, it had that, it was kind of unusual passage, wasn't it? Where it talked about the devil having in his hand, essentially this, uh, this weapon called the fear of death that he's been using to terrorize humanity. Do you remember that? And last week's passage said, we, we're freed from that. And there are other passages that talk like that, that whether you realize it or not, like everybody who does not know Jesus because of our sins, you are naturally in the domain of darkness. It may not even feel dark to you, right? Someone that's never seen light wouldn't think dark was super dark, right? But you're in the domain of darkness. And when Jesus redeems us, he transfers us out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom 
of the son he loves. That's what God, that's what the father does because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So that's what I mean by what do we need to be redeemed from? Okay, well then how did Jesus do that? How did he pay the price? Like how could someone born under the law pay a price to fix people that are lawbreakers? Like what price did he pay? Again, the short answer to that is his death. Okay, well, how does his dying have anything to do with paying the price for us? Well, it's the consequences of our sin, and he took it on our behalf. Let me give you an example of this in modern day, um, like law. Let's imagine that you are driving a car down baseline, and you're breaking the speed limit, okay? Some of you did it this morning on the way to church. <laughs> so let's imagine you're breaking the speed limit as, you, as you're coming to church. We've got to be holy and worship Jesus, and we've got to go 20 miles over the speed limit to get there. Um, and so let's just imagine that you get a ticket for whatever that is. Let's say it's 200 bucks. Okay. So now what do you have to do? You now owe $200. You owe $200 to who? Well, it's the clerk of court of Marion County is who you owe the money to. Okay. I'm familiar with the system, so I can guarantee you that's who it is. (laughs) Um, not recently. I drive like an old man now. I haven't got a ticket in years, but when I was younger, um, I just treated speed limits like they were suggestions, and, pfft, and I got plenty of tickets. And so what you do with the ticket is you got to pay it. And the, the, I feel like there, there must be two options, because I feel like I remember the police officers would give you an envelope, and you could just put money in there and send it off. Um, and I don't maybe that's what rich people do. I don't know. But I remember like having to go down to the courthouse and giving them the $200 and then getting them to you know, say, like, all right, you're good. You're back to good now. Your debt has been paid. You're free. You know, you can go back to driving, no points on your license or whatever it is, or points on your license, but now you don't get your license taken away, whatever the thing is, but the consequences are over, you've paid it, and now you get to go. So here's the thing, if you did that, if you're someone who speeds, and then you get your $200 ticket, and then you go and you pay it, at that point, it's done. You're free from the consequences of your law breaking. But that's not the only way it can happen. It could also, I could speed and have to pay $200 myself, but it could also be that my rich uncle Herbert shows up, and he takes my ticket or the number that's on my ticket and he takes $200 and he goes down to the clerk of court and he pays it on my behalf, writes out a check, hands it to them. And you know what happens? If I go and pay it myself, I'm free from the consequences of my law breaking. But if Uncle Herbert comes and pays the $200 on my behalf, you want to know what happens? Same thing. I'm free from the consequences of my law breaking. Clerk of court does not care whose name is on the check. They just want to make sure the $200 is paid. And I think there's a sense in which that's what Jesus did for us, obviously on a way bigger level. That the consequence of our behavior was death, really in God's displeasure at us, his wrath. And Jesus took on God's displeasure, his wrath. Jesus took death on in our place because that was our punishment. That's the price that he paid to redeem us. One more thing I want to say while we're on this thought. This is a quote from a guy named John Stott. John Stott was an Anglican theologian, like, well, I don't know, for a long time. He died like 11 or 12 years ago. This is what he said in one of his books. He was talking about Jesus, and he said, if he had not been man, he could not have redeemed men. If he had not been a righteous man, he could not have redeemed unrighteous men. So let me explain this. When it says, if he, had not been made ma- if he had not been man, the word man in this particular context is just a word that means human. I know that um, people use the word man way less often nowadays to mean that, but that's what he meant. 
when he says man. He's just talking about human, like when people used to say mankind and they went meant man and women. So he's saying here, if Jesus had not been a human being, he could not have redeemed human beings. Now that's a point that we learned last week. You remember? That was the point from last, that was like one of the main points of last week's sermon. But the second part is new. If Jesus had not been a righteous human being, he could not have redeemed unrighteous human beings. Why is that? Why couldn't any human just die for someone else? No, Jesus had to be perfect. Jesus had to be perfectly obedient. Jesus had to be sinless in order to pay the price on our behalf. A person who is guilty of sin cannot die for people who are guilty of sin. I don't know if that makes sense like all on its own or not, but in case it doesn't, I have an illustration. Imagine that I have three children, okay? Which shouldn't be hard to imagine. I do. So imagine I have three children. Imagine I say to my three children, okay, you guys need to go clean your rooms, okay? And if you do not clean your room, you have to go to bed early, okay? So let's say I say that to them. So the, the, the command is clean your room, and the consequence if you do not is go to bed early, right? Can you picture this? this and this is a thing we really do. Like routinely, we do make them clean their rooms. And sometimes we have used as a punishment, you've got to go to bed early, which works. They hate going to bed early, which is so funny to me because those of you who are adults know... That's not a punishment, right? <laughs> I wish when I did wrong things, people would put me to bed early. That would be so, man, that's like my fantasy world. That every time I sin, someone says, you, sir, have to take a nap. And I'm like, yes, you're right. I'm a bad man and that will fix it. I'm going to go take a nap right now. That'll teach me. Man, I wish, man, I wish that's how things worked. Anyway, that's a tangent. So imagine, imagine I say to my kids, you got to clean your rooms. You got to go to bed early. And imagine they do not clean their rooms. What's the consequence? They got to go to bed early, right? All three of them. They got to go to bed early because they didn't do it. Now imagine one of the three of them comes up to me and says, Father, I cannot bear the thought of my brother and sister going to bed early. It just, it pains them so much. They hate it. And I just can't bear to see them suffer. Please send me to bed in their place, right? I will take this, send me to bed in their place so that they can stay up. First of all, none of my kids are going to do that. But if it did happen, the reason it wouldn't work is why? Have you already figured it out? Because he's got to go to bed anyway. He didn't clean his room. He can't go to bed on their behalf because he has to go to bed early on his behalf. Oh, we just stumbled into some theology here. Jesus had to obey God's law perfectly in order to die in our place so that he was dying not on his own behalf, but for another. All right, so final part of the verse. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, here we have a second reason that Jesus was born, right? Because that's what the verse is about. He's born. He's born of a woman. He's born under the law. For what reason? We've already covered one, redemption. But the second one is a different thing. It's so that we might receive adoption. Christians use these words a lot, adoption and redemption, but they're not the same thing. Redemption isn't adoption. Adoption is not redemption. Redemption we've already covered. That's the price that's paid to set someone free. Adoption is the word we use when someone is not your child and they become your child. They're two different things. In fact, you see both concepts in uh, two verses later, same passage. So if, you, if you're in Galatians, so there's verses five, four and five that we just read. And then if you just skip down one verse, verse seven says this. So you are no longer a slave, but a son and if a son, then an heir through God. This is saying what happens when we believe in Jesus, right? 
So you are no longer a slave, that's redemption, but a son, that's adoption. They're two different things. You're no longer a slave, okay, I've been redeemed, but now I'm a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. That's what adoption is. So redemption makes you free, adoption makes you a son. And I think these things are such a, like, it's just so helpful, I think, to sometimes think of this through the lens of the people it was written to, right? This letter was written to Galatians in the Roman Empire. They had thoughts about this, okay? If you go back to my um, outline verse, the, the, the outline, either one, I, this is fine, sure, sure, sure. Um, so we got redeem and we got adoption. So the word redeem, we've talked about in their minds, probably they would be thinking about this, not just in churchy language, but probably having to do with slavery and prices being paid and finances and all that. And the word adoption, adoption was a little bit different in the Roman Empire than it was, than it is for us. They did have people who were not biologically their children, and then they became their children through adoption. But I just think sometimes their motives and the way it worked in their culture was different than us. And so as the Galatians are reading this, I'm thinking that they're probably thinking what this word meant in their culture. So in the Roman Empire, you can look this up. I googled it to make sure it was true, and I'd heard this before. In the Roman Empire, sometimes you would have adults that could adopt other adults for the purpose of passing inheritance on. So there would be people who, um, let's say they're wealthy and they have stuff, but they don't have sons to pass on an inheritance to. They could adopt someone for the purpose of, well, somebody's got to keep the family business going. Some, there's got to be a next generation. I got, who am I going to give the family farm to? Who am I going to give my business over to? Who am all this wealth that I've created? Who, who, who's going to then take care of it for the next generation? And so they would adopt someone to make sure that it went on after that person died. So imagine you got someone um, who's... 45 years old, and they know that they're probably going to die soon because, I mean, life expectancy wasn't anything like it is now, right? No hospitals. So, you know, like if you're 45, you'll probably have a heart attack in the next 10 years and you'll be done. So let's, let's find what? Maybe a 20 or 25-year-old and I'll adopt him. Not for the purpose necessarily of raising him, although that probably happened too, but I'm going to give everything I have over to him. And so in the Roman Empire, I think people would do that particularly with sons, whether you like it or not, that's how it worked. Inheritance was something a father would pass on to his son. Daughters were expected, I think, to marry into other people's inheritances. But But the father would pass on inheritance to his son. And there would have been situations where adoption was needed because you would have a wealthy person in the Roman Empire and they don't have a son to pass it on to for all sorts of reasons, just like nowadays. You would, you could have, it could be that you have this wealthy Roman and, and he's not able to have children. He has no sons because he's not able to have children, or maybe his wife's not able to have children. Um, or maybe he has all daughters, and so who's he going to pass it on to? Or maybe he had daughters and sons, but none of them survived to adulthood. Okay, you might think that sounds crazy, but that wasn't so crazy back then. Childhood mortality was just a totally different statistic than it is now. Right? People died, the, the percentage of people that made it to adulthood was way less. Okay? Again, no hospitals, no pediatricians. I mean, nowadays, kids turn 18 and you have a graduation party and everyone shows up and goes, oh, I'm, you know, I'm so great, so proud of you, you know, good job you made it through high school. I mean, back then you turned 18 and it was like, yes, like you're still alive. <laughs> like not everybody makes it to adulthood, but you did, you know, good for you. So, Back then, here we have this guy. Maybe he, has, maybe he is not able to have children. Maybe he has all daughters. Maybe he had sons and they didn't make it to adulthood. But what's he going to do with his inheritance? And so it could be that he would go, he finds somebody and, and pay the redemption price, find maybe a slave, and pay the redemption price so that they are now free. And then not stop there. Then adopt him and say, all that I have is yours. I'm going to treat you like a son for as long as I live and you get all my stuff. That would have been such a big deal in the Roman Empire. 
And so I think that these are the images they have. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. I would imagine that it was possible that if you were in the Roman Empire, you could be redeemed, but not adopted. Right? Someone could pay a price to set you free, but now you're on your own. I, I bet you that happened in the Roman Empire. Sometimes, I think you could, you could see this in 1 Corinthians, I think this happens sometimes. Sometimes people might pay their own redemption price and get themselves freed from slavery, or maybe someone else would pay. But you're freed, but here's the thing, you could be free and broke, Right? You could be free, but you're homeless. Because back when you were a slave, you could live in your master's house, but now you're not, and so you're free, yay, but you don't have anywhere to live. And you used to eat the food that the other slaves ate because that's what you did to survive, but now you're on your own, and so yay, you're free, but you may have no food. Like being redeemed, but not adopted, could be, depending on who you are, a precarious situation in the Roman Empire. But if someone came along and said, oh, I'm not just paying the redemption price. You're my kid now. You get everything. I love you. I will treat you like a loving father and I will give you all that I have. Well, that's a whole other thing. To say that, no, you say to the person, no, listen, listen. <laughs> I know you're thanking me for redeeming you, but listen, you're not just free. You have a dad now who loves you. You're not just free. You're rich. <laughs> you have an inheritance now. I think if you were a slave in the Roman Empire, that was about the best thing that could have possibly happened to you. And in the middle of his letter of Galatians, Paul writes this sentence. You know what God did? You know what Christmas is about? He sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. You know what to do? Why he did it? He did it so that the best thing that could possibly ever happen to you would happen to you. That's, I think that's how they would have read it. Whoa! So he came and did like everything. He did the best that he fixed. So he, he came, born under the law, to pay a price to fix all our problems, to do the best thing that could possibly happen to us. That's what Christmas is about. That's what God did for us. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus made it to where those of us who turn from our sins and, and trust in Jesus, we do not have to receive the consequences of our sins, but we can have a relationship with God as a loving father and inherit all that is his, eternal life, new heaven and new earth. That's the gospel. Amen. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. God, right now, we thank you and we praise you. And I, I, th I feel very comfortable saying we. It's not just me. I can hear people saying amen and clapping because I think I can say this as a group. We praise you and worship you for that. Thank you for the reminder that you would set us free from the consequences of our own sins and then not just leave us poor and broke, but adopt us into your family and be our father and love us and give us everything that you have. What incredible thing that we celebrate at Christmas time. And we worship you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>